Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppe, and I am excited to welcome back to the podcast, Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Scott, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on, John. I really appreciate it. So let's talk offense. There's a lot to dissect after a not so great showing in 2021. We got some insights since then. Um, With Kurt Ferentz's press conference last week, Brian Ferentz is staying, at least for now. Looks like we have a three-way quarterback competition. Let's start with quarterback there with, okay, you've got the incumbents, Spencer Petras, Alex Padilla. Joey Labus, I guess, is kind of an incumbent because he's on the roster, but he was on scout team. Sounds like he's really going to have a shot at this job in 2022, at least. As far as Kirk is saying at this point, granted it is February and games aren't going to be happening until September. Oh, yeah, we've got about seven months before the games start flying and, and who knows what may happen then. But I liked hearing that about quarterback because if you're Alex Padilla and you started three games last year and you were like, uh, you know, you're up and down, you're inconsistent, but why would you come back if it was just going to be status quo and you're going to be a junior? And then at that point, you never, you know, it's, it's, you, you got to get to your career at some point. And uh, I thought he did well enough to, to warrant that, especially in light of what, you know, Spencer Petrus has been given every opportunity to take this offense to the next level and, and really hasn't. Um, I think he got better in 2021 than he did in 2020. He just didn't have uh, the receivers that he did in 2020, which was, uh, you know, Brandon Smith and Amir Smith-Marset, both of whom were on NFL rosters all year, one on practice and one on the main. And, and so, uh, and then to see Joey Labus get that opportunity, I think is essential for this team. I, there was not good enough quarterback play to warrant somebody being an incumbent starter. The year before was different, and even in really in 2020 was different with the pandemic, the lack of opportunity to to compete in a spring practice, to you know go through the summer workouts, to do the normalcy that you would in a usual year. Um, so so it made sense that, and especially the the delay of the Big Ten season, you had to start Spencer. He was the only one who really knew anything about the offense, so uh, that made sense. Um, last year, he he had, okay, he had eight starts under his belt. Down the stretch, he he did okay. You know, he had um, nine touchdowns, only two interceptions in twenty twenty. Um, completion percentage was low, but um, you know they won six straight games, and not that he did a lot with it, but he did enough with it where you say, okay, he it's his gig. But if somebody else looks better, go ahead. But it never really strayed outside that line. Now, um, it seems like everybody's going to get the same opportunity. And they really should um, this spring. I mean, Joey Labus should get first-team reps with the first-team offense. Um, you know, same thing with Alex Padilla. Same thing with Spencer Petras. Um, there's no, there are no transfer portal quarterbacks coming in. They sniffed around. Never really worked out. So now that's the basically status quo. And then Carson May comes in in the summer. I wouldn't necessarily expect him to, to walk in and start, but. Especially when you look at like Padilla was saying right before the bowl game about how it really takes a year and a half to learn this offense, which we could have a whole discussion about too. So with that, probably a difficult sign for a true freshman to come in, but you know, Labus has had that year and, 
You know, I think it'll also be interesting to see what Padilla does now that he has kind of a full off season after having that in-game action. And I think there's a probably a higher ceiling for Padilla than Petrus right now. Right. And, uh, and that, that's part of it too. The only quarterback that I can remember really coming in and being a factor in his first year, and he came in in the summer too, was Nate Stanley that he won the backup job very quickly, even over a four-star in Tyler Wiegers. And then, you know, then he beat him out later for the starting gig a year later. But, but yeah, uh, looking ahead, yeah, Petrus has shown you who he is. And he had a lot of opportunity. He has a big arm, and I think he's a very intelligent quarterback. I think he knows the game as well as any quarterback I've been around here at Iowa. Just – um, that to me translates into he's going to be an outstanding coach someday in this sport. I think he can really relay the game. He's really personable, as personable as any quarterback they've had. And, and so I think that's going to work really well. But you've you got to translate that to on-field success. And the, the Iowa kind of maxed out offensively last year. They got as much out of that offense as they could um, with him there. As you said, you know, Padilla could do more things. Can he be more accurate? I mean, 48% is 15 percentage points lower than what you need from that job. And, and then finally, with Joey Labus, there were enough good things um, from him in practice against an outstanding defense, one that led the country in interceptions that had more interceptions than any other team or Power 5 team since 2014, that, you know, he merits that chance to go out there and do it because – if you can make plays against a, a defense that other people can't, you know, you know, we were in Maryland and we saw, you know, Talia Tago Viola, you know, and his backup throw six interceptions against him, you know, Penn State's quarterbacks threw four, Iowa State, Brock Purdy, who will be on an NFL roster next year, you know, through I think three, you know, so there were just, um, so I think he merits that opportunity. What I would like to see is they go through the spring and you won't know the damn difference between who's starting and who's not. Take it through the summer. Maybe in August, develop somewhat of a pecking order, but let them compete until mid-August. And then if you think you have that, that necessary separation, then at that point, to define who the starter is. You don't really want it to go in the, in the season, but I also think that at that point, you should have, kind of a, a short leash, you know, especially if it's Petrus um, or even Padilla because they've proven they, they didn't play very well. So don't really allow them to continue to not play well. Um, and with that a- schedule too, you can't really have a long leash. If you have a long leash, that can get rough when you're playing Michigan, Ohio State, those teams. So that's the other thing too, where, you know, you can't get away with the quarterback play that they got in 2021 with this 22 schedule. And I think that's another thing there. I like that timeline too, where, you know, there's also a good chunk of time in terms of development in between spring and summer and that August point, you know, maybe Petrus figures out what kind of went wrong in the second half of the season. It feels like his, almost a tale of two Petruses because, you know, he had a pretty decent first half and then at second half of the year kind of took a dive there. And granted he wasn't exactly winning any awards with the first half, but, you know, 
it was, I think, nine touchdowns, I think, to two interceptions, I want to say. Um, earlier in the year, I could have that number slightly off. But then it kind of, or maybe it was six to two, but it was a lot better earlier on. And then it kind of took a turn for the worse. Yeah. I think what we saw was you're just waiting. You're waiting for that that moment where it all kind of clicks and it never happened. Uh, early on when they beat Indiana and Iowa State consecutively, I mean, they were the, the second-ranked team in that game, each game. I mean, Indiana was ranked ahead of them, which just ends up surprising, of course, at the end of the year when they didn't win a game in the Big Ten. And <laughs> Iowa State had a very disappointing year for what Iowa State expected. But still, um, they won both games decisively. And the offense, it, other than a one big play and one big series against Iowa State, it really needed to just get out of the way. Don't do anything stupid, win the game. And um, But then when they didn't play very well, I thought against Kent State and Colorado State, that's when I kind of went, man, this, is, this isn't this is very good. And they're not running the ball either, and that was a major factor in all of it. But then they exploded it in Maryland, but they were obviously aided by an incredible defensive <laughs> effort there. Um, you're getting such great field position because – there's interception after interception after interception. It's a lot easier for the offense to work. I mean, you know, their average field position is, you know, what, the 40-yard line of the opponent or whatever. <laughs> it, it was, you know, it was something. And Maryland wasn't anything special anyway. But then um, – and then you had, uh, you know, the Penn State game was just a survive game. And then they, they made a couple – you know, their receivers made a couple of big plays. And Petrus did too. They were 6-0, second in the country, and it was like, okay, wow, this team's legit now. I mean, but they got to get better. And then, of course, they got a rude awakening with both Purdue and, and, and Wisconsin. Purdue was way better than many people expected, or they really should look back and see what Purdue did all year. And they weren't that far off from winning the division, frankly. And Oh, yeah. And so, you know, and that, and that to me is – and then, of course, he got hurt – and so it limited him when he was playing, but I really think that it's, you know, throughout the course of the final month of the year, especially, I kept saying, they just need to squeeze the last drops of ketchup out of the bottle. Just <laughs> do what it can as best as it can, just to make this an edible, you know, sandwich. <laughs> and I'm going to be uh, thinking of this as I have lunch today. <laughs> it was a very tasty sandwich, let's put it that way. But, but then you saw what happened against Michigan. I mean, you know, it was like it was like a no-armed wrestler out there. I mean, they just couldn't do anything. And so I think that's where that's the image that the coaching staff needs to have is it's not that it's that far from Michigan. That was a bad game. Bad games happen. But mm-hmm. I think what it needs to say is <laughs> we can't have that. We we've got if because sometimes your defense is going to give up a big player two or three. So you got to make sure you have a puncher's chance to at least compete. And they didn't have that last year. That was what cost them. I mean, because Purdue was winnable. If oh, with yeah. A good offense, with a good offense, that's it's winnable. Yeah, um, Purdue, Iowa had its chances where the score looked ugly. But, you know, if they changed a few of those trips down there, I think that was, you know, the fourth and one there. That was at the 10 or the 9. And yeah. that's – you know, when you don't convert that, you know, it's hard to win games. Yeah. And I, I mean, 
you, some games you look back and you can say the what ifs and what ifs and and you know, they're likely. I'm not going to say Iowa should have won that game because I wouldn't deserve to. Um, but no. what I'll say is, if oh, if they would have converted a short field goal, which was you know his worst miss of the year, if they would have um, you know fourth, third and one, fourth and one, been able to convert that with a quarterback sneak or some other play, if he wouldn't have thrown four interceptions in that game, you know it, it could have been different. Um, and I'm not even saying the outcome, but the score and the, the tone of the game would have been different. You know, Wisconsin was all about mistakes. Um, you know, they <laughs> dropping the ball on the goal line is not going to be a winning strategy against the Badgers. No. And being a fifth-year player, a backup punt returner, dropping a fair catch is not a winning strategy in your own part of the field. When your team is trying to – when your defense is battling its ass off and it's holding – Wisconsin as best as it can, goal line stands, and then, you know, running two fullback dives on third and one and fourth and one. It's just you're not giving yourself a chance either, and and your coaching staff doesn't trust the offense to do anything other than sneak the ball in this, you know, this narrow area, and you're doing it against the teeth of a really good defense. And, you know, everyone, I think, knew what that play was going to be on third and one and fourth and one. Everyone in Camp Randall, and that can hold a lot of people. And when you have the offensive line where, okay, hey, everyone knows this is going to happen, but we're still going to out-push you on the line of scrimmage, that's one thing. But at that point in the year, that offensive line was not what it ended up being against Kentucky, where I think Kentucky – the offensive line had pretty good day, I thought. Not a really good day. I mean, it looked it looked the part finally. Yeah, and it looked like an Iowa offensive line. You know, they they ran the ball. Now, Kentucky did have some really good players out, so that that was a factor. And and, and Wisconsin does have, you know, statistically had the best defense in the country. So mm-hmm. that's that's another thing. You know, it's debatable whether Georgia was better, but. Um, the, the statistics are the statistics and, and we saw what, you know, when Leo Chanel and stuff was out there, but that was a game going into it. I thought it was going to be 13 to 10 and it should have been 13 to 10 and mm-hmm. one way or the other. And instead dropping the ball, dropping the ball. And, and then, you know, third and one, fourth and one. And, you know, and even at that point it was 20 to seven and they were on the Wisconsin side of the field and they had some momentum building. They had that chance. And, you know, and, and I'm not going to do any kind of revisionist history on either of those games because they deserve to lose a vote. But I do think that uh, the chance, the opportunities were there to have a much closer outcome than what we saw. And uh, and that's what the uh, that's what they need to do. They need to critic. They need to look at this offense and critically evaluate it. You can't just mm-hmm. evaluate it for what you want it to be. You have to evaluate it for what it is. And what it is, is it's ranked in the hundreds in every single freaking category in the country. And it's from, you know, and some of it's going to get better just because your offensive line will improve. Um, but some of it's not because your scheme, your, your, your concepts in the passing game are archaic in some ways. Yeah. Well, regardless of, you know, you could have an all future NFL offensive line. But when you have your quarterback having the completion numbers that Petrus and Padilla had, it's hard to win games that way. And I think that's really, I think you can have a run heavy, and I think you probably should 
with, especially with the 2022 personnel, have a run heavy offense that, you know, uses Padavam at fullback, even with the rest of the world not really going very fullback heavy. I think you can still do that, but do it in a way that is more effective and, you know, puts maybe a little less pressure on the quarterback. Because if it's going to take a year and a half to learn the offense, really, you know, that does, you could make a good argument, inhibits a little bit of the ability, say, in the transfer portal for somebody to come in and succeed when they see, you know, it's well documented that Padilla said that it takes a year and a half. And, you know, Padilla wasn't I mean, shattering any earth with that statement. You know, it was kind of common knowledge already before that, that it's a learning process there. And, you know, if you don't have such a heavy burden, I guess you'd say pre-snap on the quarterback, maybe you can get some new talent coming in and be a little more competitive in the transfer portal. Yeah, those are all good points because the, the thing is they're making it more complicated than it needs to be. I mean, and especially for the performance that you're receiving out of the entire offense, but especially in the passing game and at quarterback, when you're putting that much of a burden, as you said, or, you know, that much responsibility on the quarterback and pre-snap to look and call and, and determine all these different things, and you're not getting any kind of success out of it, then you've got to look internally and say, this is just too complicated. We need to simplify this offense and make it, you know, go a little bit easier. And, and, and I agree that the foundation of Iowa football doesn't need to change at all. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. the zone scheme, it works, it works at the NFL. You've just got to make sure you update it to, to accompanying the times. I mean, some of the things that, um, you know, number one, you know, they, they really have, legislated against like cut blocking in the NFL or in the college football. So you've got to make sure to how do you get better angles out of that and not get caught if you do cut block. And, and then in the passing game, you've got to make sure that players can get find ways to get open. Sometimes they're not, I mean, well, it's obvious they're not. And then the, the other thing is, and this, this goes to their recruiting and coaching. When you have a passing game or a run game like Iowa and and an offense structured like Iowa, if you don't have a quarterback who can scramble on third and six and pick up eight yards, um, then you better have somebody who completes 65% of your passes to extend those third down uh, into firsts and extend those drives and score points in the red zone and do all those things that they didn't do. And they haven't had a quarterback since CJ Beathard in 2015 hit 60% in a season. You know, Nate Stanley did a lot of really good things and in the red zone. You're not going to find better numbers than him. You know, in his three-year career, he's 47 touchdowns and one interception. We all remember the interception. <laughs> but, but still, that wasn't all on him. The, but last year it was what four and two. I mean, come on, man. You know, and, and you've got to be, you got to execute when you're down there. Um, and and so when you throw all those things in there, they've got to figure out a way. What are the primary statistics you want to generate out of this offense? And to me, number one is at minimum you need four point two yards per carry. Yeah. Um, and like in 2020, they're at four six and. Brian Ferentz has told me before, look, if we can get four or five on up, we feel like we have a championship caliber team. And that's true. That year they did. 
their quarterback play wasn't very good. The rest of the offense and, the, and then of course the defense was even better last year than last year's unit. Yeah, outstanding. Um, but then you, you you go from that to um, you got to you got to hit that number. You got to hit plus sixty percent completion percentage, and then you do do have to have some kind of it's third and six, nobody's open. Somebody needs to pull down the ball and, and try to get that first down. And I think on roster, you know, Petrus can't do that. Um, no, he said after the Citrus Bowl about trying to get a little more mobile, but, you know, it's hard to, he said earlier in the season that he's no Lamar Jackson. You don't really become Lamar Jackson overnight. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's more Tom Brady. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and I'm just mean that in his speed, not any other part of his game. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and but you still got to those opportunities are there. You still got to take them. You still got to get there. And Padilla can do it. Um, and I think and I've heard Labans can do it. So that to me says you've just got to get more out of that. And and, and then I, I think there are other, uh, you know, ways. I, I think they've got, you know, an improving receiving core. It's not Hopefully quite Laporta back too. Yeah, and, and you know, when, if you get Luke Lachey on a way up, you might have the best duo in the country. Um, and Laporta is probably one of the best three tight ends in the country going back this year. You know, Rock Bowers in Georgia and Michael Mayer of Notre Dame are up there, but I'd put him probably number three, and that's saying a lot. So you do have a security blanket. You got to get more out of out of some of your players in the receiving core. They don't have getting Charlie Jones back to me. That was huge because now with Charlie Jones, what I'd ask him to do is do more. You mm-hmm. know, they, he made big plays when he was out there. He just didn't play a lot because he was still kind of concentrating on, um, you know, special teams. And that, and, and so they've got to figure out the difference is, do you pull him from a special teams unit or do you leave him out in all of them and then continue to play him a lot more in offense? Because I think right now the offense can use him a little bit more. Other than, and maybe it's, kick return I yeah. maybe look at somebody else in that role even though Charlie can do it obviously did it really oh, well yeah. but punt return you got to keep him out there he's, he's too good there but, <laughs> but I would say kick return um unless unless he's like hey I can do it all let him give which him credit shot. to him if he can yeah so right and so you just got to get him more involved in, in the passing game I think yeah, because, you know, he kind of checks all the boxes in terms of what you're looking for from a starting wide receiver. And I think if you have him on one side and you have Keegan Johnson on the other side, you know, Keegan made a lot of big plays as a true freshman. Of course, drops were occasionally an issue there. So, you know, there's still some work to be done for him. But, you know, he gets this full off season after seeing significant time and I think that would be an interesting, you know, I think that wouldn't be a bad um, two options there. I mean, out wide and then slot, you've got Regani coming back. I think Arlen Bruce could be really effective. Um, I think now they have a better sense of Arlen Bruce, what he can do. You could see a little more of some adjustments in terms of focusing certain things around his skill set. You know, I've heard a couple times the Debo Samuel comparison, and there is a little bit of it that I see in them. They ran 11 personnel about what, you know, almost 60% of their pass plays 
yeah. down a little bit from the last previous two years, but I think that's because they have good tight ends. And then at, at about close to 24%, 25% of their running plays were 11 personnel. So you're going to have three, you need three wide receivers on the field a lot of the time, you know, more than the other, um, you know, groupings with that. So I think in some ways what you need to do is uh, you need to incorporate Arlen Bruce and, and you need to find a way to, to involve Nico Regani and use his skill set more. And that's been a real issue too, to me is um, last year he had, he was targeted a lot, but he only caught like 50% of his targets. So you've got to make sure you, you get him the ball in an area where he can do something with it. He doesn't have blazing speed necessarily, but he has pretty good hands for the most part. He did drop some passes more and, uh, but he, he can get open in space in short space. And, and then that also goes to the accuracy of the quarterback as to how he can find him and, and utilize him in that position, because, you know, Nate Stanley did a nice job of that, you know, in, in 2019 when he was, when Regani was a freshman. So I, I think really if, you incorporate those four and then leave room for one more, um, you know, whether it's a Deontay Bynes, if he can make that a Jackson Ritter played some Brody Brecht, if he can come in and, and, and do something, um, you know, Jake which would be really impressive for him considering also playing baseball in the spring, you know, that just being able to pull off two division one sports at once kind of amazes me with him. Uh, so we'll see how long that lasts, but, uh, you know, but, but still, it, you know, leave room for one more because you never know about injuries and you never know about just somebody ascending. Uh, so I, I think all of that in, you know, can be reshaped and, you know, Tyron Tracy was fell from one to five last year and which was quite a shame, but, but I think they have room for one more. It's just, all right, it's open. And, and then, but I, I really like the combination of Jones, Johnson, and Bruce. I think that that could be a, a really solid formation going forward. I like um, what Bruce can bring, as you said, is kind of a versatile threat in the slot, um, you know, running jet sweeps. He did a nice job and reverses jet sweeps. Uh, you know, I wouldn't rule out him at, at some sort of wildcat quarterback yeah. because he played that at Olathe North um, before he came here. So, I, you know, I, I would just, make sure to get as much out of him as you can. He's a smart kid. And, and uh, but has a running also- back mentality to him where he is talking about growing up playing the EA sports NCAA football games and said that his road to glory kind of character for the people who aren't familiar with this game, it's the EA sports game that they used to have every year before NIL kind of changed that and road to glory was where you create your player that goes through the recruiting process and then goes on he picked a running back so you know and you kind of see it in him a little bit when he's on the field where yeah he's a little bit of a running back at heart yeah and he just he saw himself as a more of a wide receiver at the next level that he could get to the next level more as a wide receiver but but what we're seeing in skill position players, both sides of the line of scrimmage, frankly, is, is more versatility and more players who can do more things because don't just put this guy in this box and let him do his thing. And, and it's basketball has been doing this for, you know, 30 years. And that is just, just let the guy go play. <laughs> and I think, you're, you know, and, and 
a lot of most teams outside of Iowa do that. Um, Iowa's been very regimented over the years um, on both sides of the ball until they flipped the cash in 2018. And then now you got a guy like Bruce and I thought Tracy fit that role too. It's just now a matter of letting him take that next step. And, and, but you also have to have a quarterback on the field who can allow that to happen and not just, um, you know, allow, you know, but you know, with Petrus, when he was, when they would go wildcat, he'd either come off the field or he'd go to the side and, you know, he's no target, you know? So now, <laughs> you know, and I don't mean to demean Petrus. I, I just think that, uh, no, he recognizes it. I think as much as anybody and, you know, he's joked about it himself, yeah. you know, during the season. So right. I think so, he's well aware. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and so you got to have somebody who can maybe go out for a pass and if, and uh, once in a while it's there, throw it, you know, they, and they've tried one, you know, pitch pass, of course, with uh, Gavin Williams throwing it to uh, Monty Potabon against Michigan, which was wide open, but, you know, <laughs> probably not the best choice of receivers at that point, even though I think Potabon is outstanding uh, use check type of uh, fullback. He's just, <laughs> that was probably not the best route for him to run and wasn't the easiest pass to come out with. No, it, it was close. You know, that would have been a hell of a play if, you know, that worked, yeah, but right. it was just a bit off on that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, make put it in a spot where he can make the catch. That's probably the key right there. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see what maybe comes in next year with that. So is then Michigan pulled one of those and that worked. So if you have the right personnel there, maybe that would have been a little bit of a different result, but yeah. yeah. Well, Michigan's going to be interesting, you know, losing both the coordinators. So, uh, oh yeah. They still have their head coach. So won't be heading to the Vikings. So I don't know if, you know, for us as fans of two of the three other NFC North teams, whether that's good news or bad news for our teams, but. Yeah, you know, I mean, it depends on if you're, if uh, number 12 is still lining up for the green and gold. Yeah, that'll be interesting. You know, I haven't been alive for a time where the Packers didn't have Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers, So, which is probably making me feel very young here with that no, I'll, I'll, I'll take it all the way back to I was still in high school when it wasn't Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers I okay mean, that makes me feel a little less young 92 was when he well I guess I graduated in 92 and then in early 92 was when he stepped in against the Bengals and for Don Mikowski or whatever and uh, then it's been either Favre or Aaron <laughs> Rodgers so uh, yeah so you know yep. We'll see what that looks like in 2022. That might be a little ugly there. So, yeah, you may love that matchup. Pun very much intended there between the Packers and Bears. More than you probably have in a long time. Yeah, that's all right. (laughs) All right. So we're getting a little off task here. So thanks again, Scott, for – joining the hawk off the press podcast yeah thanks again for having me john and uh hope uh, your winter is going well thank you you as well and thank you to our 
listeners for tuning in to another episode. I'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.